And they lived happily ever after. What? How many times have you heard that? And they live happily ever after. And how true is that when you hear that? This shows us that our life can be perfect. But the truth is this type of theology is what we call Disneyland theology or kids movie theology. It really never comes true. It's just what we call a good way to end a movie. Do you know the American movie? People get upset if it doesn't end. They lived happily ever after in America. But foreign countries and other parts of the world, they don't end their movies that way. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, that movie was terrible because it ended weird? It's probably because they didn't live happily ever after. We love that. We are called to faithfulness. We are not called to happily ever after or this idea of perfection. Though we expect perfection in our life and the way that we do things with Christ and with our family and everything, perfection crushes our faithfulness. If we are called to faithfulness, then we are being crushed by this perfectionist mindset. We have been programmed since an early age, since kids watching movies with our parents, that everything's going to end happily ever after. You're going to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and life is just going to be perfect as soon as you say your vows or you find that perfect person. Our TV, our social media, this world is programming us into this per- perfect life, and it sh- and the truth is that's not what life is really about. Perfection in life is as rare as the vaquita dolphin. You ever seen this cute little dolphin? It is so cute. There's only 10 in the world. It's as rare as anything. And it's in the Gulf of California between mainland Mexico and Baja. But even that's not perfect because they're extinct. There's only one in the Bible that says is perfect. And that is Jesus Christ. This series ends today, and we are called as Christians to this faithfulness. And we've been opening up Deuteronomy and using scripture and stories from the book of Deuteronomy the past few weeks to understand our call to faithfulness. And today, let's close with perfection. Now, speaking about perfection, I want to give you a little bit of a building update. About six weeks ago, we thought we found the perfect building. We went over a couple of times. We prayed about it. We circled it a couple of times. And the truth is, what happened was, as we made an offer, because it was a perfect size, it fit our budget, we had construction guys go in and give us a rough estimate, Somebody else got the building before we did. I guess we submitted it at the same time. What we thought was perfect, God said, I have another plan for you. So there's just a little bit of what's happening with the building update. Pray with us. We believe God has another plan. And since that time, I got a little bitter myself, honestly. But God has brought some new people into my life and have really opened up my eyes to God's got a different place, a better place and maybe a place that we will own. So that's just a little thought of where we're at. I know God has bigger plans for us, and what we think is perfect, God knows what's better for us. And that really brings me to my first point of today's message is life isn't perfect. Do you realize that? Life isn't perfect. We are called to faithfulness, but a lot of times we think we're called to perfection. So what are you called for? What does the Bible say? 
Well, as I was talking to Jeremy and Dustin yesterday, we were talking about this concept of perfection and Jeremy and all of his wisdom brought out Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 and it's this place on the Sermon on the Mount but I think it's kind of misunderstood so let's read it it says but you who are perfect but you are to be perfect as the father in heaven is perfect now that idea is good except a lot of times I think the American church fails to look at the Greek language and really study what this means. If you look at the CEB, the Common English Bible, it really says what I think the actual Greek word here for perfect is. It's called teleos. It says this, therefore just as your heavenly father is complete in showing love to everyone, you must also be complete. This Greek word teleos here is probably in this text mistranslated to complete versus perfect because we know there's only one that is perfect and a lot of times we miss the language and the English language is so limited today our idea is that we are called to be complete in Christ to be faithful in Christ but perfect it's not possible the only one that is perfect is Jesus and I thought that's important for us because life isn't perfect and we are just called to be faithful and really grow in our, in our walk with Christ. It reminds me of this quote, and this is, I'm going to bring this back at the end, but this quote says, and it's from uh, Vince Lombardi. He's a believer in God. He loves humanity. He loved growing and, and, and shaping individuals. And here's what he says, and I love this because I really think it helps us gauge where we're at. It says, perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we will catch uh, excellence. And I really think that's what this verse in Matthew says is like, we are to be excellent in our faith and be complete in Christ. And somehow, some way, God in his perfection will see that as perfect. That's kind of what I see. We are to chase perfection. That's Jesus. And in that, our life will be a life of excellence. But excellence isn't perfect. We make mistakes to get excellent. So today as we conclude this sermon series called The Faithfulness, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 34. And we're going to go through these 12 verses and you're going to see that life isn't perfect with Moses. So let's read and then I'm going to pray and then we'll talk a little bit about the text today. It says this, 34.1, it says, Then Moses went up to uh, the mountain Nebu from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah, the peak which is across from Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan River with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zor. Father, we are so grateful that even though life isn't perfect that you are and I ask that you open up our eyes today that you shower us with your grace and mercy and you feel those imperfections with your glory and, and grace so that we can truly be uh, complete in you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in the name above all names. Amen. Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land. And we see uh, in, in Numbers chapter uh, 20 and uh, 17 why. And it's just mainly bottom line because of sin. And as God is kind of bringing him to the end of his life, he takes him to this place. It's called Mount Nabu. 
which is like a range of mountains. There's a bunch of peaks, but there's one peak. And on that same mountain plain, there's this place called Pigsaw Peak. Now, Naboo is what we call a mountain range, like the Sierra Mountains, where there's a couple of peaks. And Pigsaw is this actual cliff or peak where you can overlook and see this amazing valley. And the Lord takes uh, Moses and shows him, even though... He's not going to be a part of the, the entering of the promised land. I love this. And here's why. Verse 4 answers why he won't be in it. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've allowed you to see it with your eyes, but you will not enter the land. The Lord is saying, You've done a good job, Moses, but because of your past, like all of ours, Life isn't perfect. You're not going to be able to see the, the, the promised land. We yearn for perfection. And I think it's kind of our fault. I know that as I was a parent, I want to watch these cute little Disney shows with my kids. But really, they think that life is going to be perfect. And just like I did, we yearn for this. But perfectionism and a, a perfect life is really not possible. And I want to kind of digress for a moment. And my, one of my daughters would say, Jeff, you're going to do some Christian counseling. And, and really, I believe this is. But I almost believe that there's freedom by discussing this for the next seven minutes. So go with me on this little bunny trail. Perfectionism is stemmed from dissatisfaction of who you are and where you're at in life. And because, uh, and because of that, nothing is ever good enough. Nothing ever is good enough. That's a place of struggle. Perfectionism is a curse that's difficult to shake. And that's what I think a lot of us in Christianity struggle with. We are trying to be perfect. When we are trying to be perfect, it hesitates us when we're starting something. Uh, we second guess everything that we're trying to do during that process of doing something. And we criticize ourselves. Oh, we criticize ourselves when we're done. And that is if we ever get done. Somebody that struggles with perfectionism starts projects but never really gets them done because they make a mistake or it turns imperfect in some way, shape, or form, and they just stop. And really what I'm trying to do is think about your walk with God here. Think about all the things that you have failed to complete with God. Life isn't perfect, and we kind of make mistakes. We make these resolutions. This year I'm going to read the Bible completely in, in uh, 365 days, in two years, or in 90 days. But I'm going to read the Bible. Or I'm going to read my devotion seven days this week or 30 days or every day during the year. Or, I, you know what, I'm going to do ministry. You get that call and you're like, man, I just want to do church. I'm going to try and plug in at church and do some sort of ministry. Or I'm going to lead a Bible study at home or at school, at work with my family. I'm going to do this Bible study and then it never really pans out. And you don't you fail what you think, God, uh, you're trying to complete for God. How about you want to study more, maybe take a couple of seminary classes, Teach maybe in the kids rock or the high schoolers or something. Serve, grow, flourish, join a community group. Whatever it is, you get to this place and you don't do it and you failed. And because of this perfection mentality, it ends up crippling you and not helping you. 
Our head has this weird conversation when you're thinking about perfectionism. It tries to fool us. They call that the enemy. And it creates narratives or stories or these punchlines in our head that really destroy everything good in our life. Here's one of them. Well, if I have this or if I have that, my life will be perfect or I'll be happy. Well, the truth is you get this or you get that. You get the relationship, you get the job, you get the home. But you, once you get it, you want more because there's this growing thing inside of us called sin and sin nature that always wants more. Here's another one. Uh, this conversation in your head. Everybody needs to hold themselves to my standards. They just need to do what I want them to do. That sounds like that prideful message I gave a couple weeks ago and where we get self-righteous. We, we, people don't follow your standards and that frustrates you. But you remember a little, uh, my little accent with McGee? This is God's universe and God does things his way. You don't have a universe, so you can't do things your way. The idea here is you will always be frustrated when you want people to follow the way you do it. Your way might be fine, but people don't think like you do. And because of that, we, we struggle with perfectionism. No one is perfect. Not even you. Only Jesus is. How about this one? I can do whatever I set my mind to. Some of these perfectionist people do amazing things, but the problem is they never finish it or they never do it because they're so afraid of failure and any imperfection, not just a little bit of imperfection, but any imperfection stops them or doesn't allow them to finish this. But this might be the most important one because I think this is the one that might hold us back and it might free somebody today. This last one says, I need to be perfect to be loved. Man, I, I, that kind of resonates with me. I feel like the only way God would ever want to love a guy like me is to be perfect in all that I do. And I know that I am so imperfect, but the enemy wants me to believe this. And it seems like, as parents, we kind of put that curse upon our kids, especially if your parents were kind of difficult. We are like, you could only be perfect to be loved. And that's just not true. The father loves us imperfect and mistakes. And the people in the Bible are all imperfect and do horrific things. And God still loves them and still brings them to the glory place. Moses being one of them, he was a murderer and he still was one of God's best. Here's the whole summary of what I'm trying to say. Because we believe in someone perfect, that being Jesus, the enemy has tricked us into thinking we have to be perfect or we need to be perfect. And that's just not true. Life isn't perfect. You aren't perfect. Moses isn't perfect. We're not to be perfect. Moses's life isn't ending in perfection. The best life would be he takes the new promised land, he becomes king, and he rules for another 40 years, and he lives this perfect ending. But that's not how it works. He sees the promised land, but he's never getting to enter it. God had another plan. Perfectionism is costing us a dynamic relationship with Christ. You do not need to be perfect in the eyes of the Lord. That's what Jesus does. He steps in and allows you to be perfect through the eyes of God. Life isn't perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. So here's three things to kind of break this perfectionism curse. I'll go through them real quick. Number one, take failures as learned opportunities. 
Think about things that you failed and say, I'm going to learn from this. I know it's hard. It's not, it's easy to say it's hard to do, but when you fail, you, you take it as a, an opportunity of learning. The second one is remind yourself of past victories, things that you've accomplished, getting married or that relationship, buying a home, buying a car, graduating or whatever, and remind yourself that you made it even though there were imperfections or there were struggles on the way. And the last one is this, and I believe acceptance is the key to life in Christ. Accept that you are human, that you're imperfect, and remember the imperfections of the past greats in history. Let me give you a few. And this is so cliche. We hear these names all the time. But this is just how the story goes. Ford failed twice before Ford Motor Company is where it was at today. Einstein has a whole story of, of failures. Bill Gates' first company went bankrupt. Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first TV gig. Madonna got uh, kicked out of her dance class. Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity basketball team his first first year and Seinfeld was booed off stage. Now, you know, those are just humanistic names. We got other names in the Bible. The idea here is to look back and go, man, a lot of people have made it with failures as part of their life. And that's how we can look. Life isn't perfect. Moses isn't perfect, but Moses has an amazing relationship with God. And yet even then he doesn't get all the perfection or, or that perfect ending that we would want in his life. Let's look at these next few verses, verse 5 to 8. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, just as the Lord said. The Lord buried him near the valley of Beth Peor in Moab, but no one, but to this day no one knows where that place is. That's kind of cool that the Lord buried him. That seems very intimate and unique. Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear and he was strong as ever. Doesn't mean like he was, doesn't sound like he was ready to die. It sounds like the Lord was like, all right, buddy, it's your time. Verse 8, the people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Verse 5 shows Moses gets to see the promised land. It says in verse 7 that he's strong and healthy, but he dies abruptly. He was called to faithfulness, and he was faithful, and he saw God's faithfulness by at least showing him what he'd been working for his whole life was leading people out of Egypt and into a promised land. God showed him the promised land. And then in this beautiful moment, these words say, it says, then the Lord buried him in this place, Beth Peor, in the valley near Beth Peor. Now, it doesn't get any more intimate than that. Moses and God had a very intimate relationship. Now, if you're interested in some deeper study, some weird stuff happens about Moses' body. Uh, in Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 9. It talks about the archangel Michael fighting with Satan about Moses' body. And I don't know much about what it says. And there's a lot of questions and thoughts about it. But here's what I believe. God made sure nothing was left on earth for the Israelites to worship with regards to Moses. You know why? Because the Israelites, they their heritage idolizes many things. When I've gone to uh, Jerusalem... They, they idolized just crazy things. One of the things that blew me away was we went to David's temple. And the second time I was there, I was asking. And I didn't really go in because it was hot and it was smelly. And there was just packed full of people worshiping and praying and reading. 
And finally, I asked one of the persons, I'm like, oh, man, how, uh, what's the archaeological uh, thing of this temple? And they're like, oh, this isn't really David's temple. This was built like 80 years ago. It's just a place that we worship. And they were idolizing it. You know what the, the Mecca, or you know what the top thing in Judaism today is? The Wailing Wall. That temple wall is looked at. And if you're a rabbi and if you're not there four or five times a week, you're really not a good Jew because they idolize this wailing wall. And Christians do the same thing. Christians idolize Jesus's tomb and Catholics and Christians are on their knees kissing this tomb and stuff. We tend to idolize things, but God does what God does. And he doesn't leave anything on this earth to to show where Moses died because I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know, six or seven weeks ago, uh, my buddy Dustin, Pastor Dustin spoke on Hebrews about Moses being less than than Jesus. Jesus was greater than Moses. But there was this list of all these things that Moses and Jesus were alike, but Jesus is better. And God says, I don't want the, the, the Israelites to worship anything about Moses and get detracted on their relationship with God. So, Moses dies. Now, if, if when someone dies, I just did a couple of funerals this weekend. When someone dies, you have this memorial and then you kind of put them in the ground or you kind of put their name on it. Here's what the epitaph is or the, the tombstone of Moses. It's only in the Bible because there was no place that he was buried. It says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. That's the only thing we have to memorialize this man. On Moses's epitaph or inscription on his tomb, Tombstone, though he didn't have one, it would just be very simple. It comes from those words. But Moses did so much more. Let me show you what I mean. Moses did so much more, but this wasn't his epitaph. It was not Moses, the Prince of Egypt. That's a cute movie, Disney movie, but that's not his last words or his inscription. Or Moses, the murderer of the Egyptian. That's kind of a real reality, but that's not. Or Moses, it's the shepherd in the wilderness. That's a great uh, testimony of who he was. Or Moses, the miracle worker, the prophet. I like this one. Moses, the man who talked to God face to face. I mean, I wish God would be more direct with me. And the last one is Moses, the guy who never entered the promised land. Now, at the end of his life, his title was very simple. This is what the Bible says, and this is what his tombstone would say or does say in the way that we see it in this world. It says, Moses was a servant of the Lord. It's simple. And isn't that what the essence of Christianity is? It's not becoming a pastor, an elder, or you know, a church leader, or planning churches or stuff. It's really just being a servant of the Lord, serving God. In whatever capacity, good and faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Moses has that on his tombstone, and many of us should have that on our tombstone. I want to put up a couple of tombstones because I've done a couple of uh, funerals recently, and a lot of times you have a birth date and an end date, but that dash is all that there is. But they, and back in the old days, I mean, I'm talking 100, 200 years ago, you would have a tombstone with all kinds of words on it on who this person was. This happens to be George Washington Carver. And it tells his story and how he was born into the middle of slavery and he kind of came out of it and became a scientist. I mean, this is his life and this is really an honor to who he was. Now, I kind of bought my tombstone recently, and I just wanted to show you before. My wife really hasn't seen it, but this is what my tombstone will see. Yeah, it says, he loved bacon. Oh, and his wife and family, too. 
That's the idea of good tombstone writing right there. The idea here is this. At the end of our life, God wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Moses is one of those first that's just got this epitaph of faithful servant of God because we are called to faithfulness. The second thing you need to realize here is man isn't perfect or Moses isn't perfect. Moses had the most amazing relationship that any human has ever had on this earth besides Jesus. But still, he sinned and he made mistakes. And because of that, he didn't enter into the promised land. You want to do some more digging? Look at Numbers chapter 17. Look at Numbers chapter 20. And you can just read it, but in the end, it's because he sinned. He didn't follow the exact word of God. And because of that, he was told he wasn't going to enter into the promised land. Man can't be perfect. And even the great Moses wasn't perfect. So here's the kind of summary of summing up what we've gone through so far. Moses was buried by the Lord, so beautiful and intimate. And then the Israelites searched and wanted to know where he died. They wept, they mourned. But the best part is they followed Moses' succession plan. Let's read. Here's the succession plan. Now, verse 9, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of, uh, of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Some of the people of Israel obeyed him, doing... So, sorry, not some. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses to do. And in Deuteronomy 30, 31, 32, there's this succession plan. And really, you need to understand this. Companies, churches, schools, when they have a succession plan as their leader, a president or a CEO or a pastor leaves, when they kind of lay hands and know the succession plan, stability in that church becomes a big part of it because a succession plan people can get behind. When someone leaves abruptly and they bring someone new in, it says it takes seven years for that pastor in that church to really make the people his own. So a succession plan is critical and that's what we see here. And there's something else that's really interesting. It's the spirit of wisdom. That's like what we see in John where it's the spirit and truth that work together. Joseph, son of, or Joshua, son of Nun, has this spirit of wisdom, which is from God. It's interesting in the Old Testament when we look back, and maybe if you're taking Jeremy's class, you can ask him this. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is what I call selective. It's not for everybody. God puts the spirit on someone and, and then takes it away and gives it to someone else. It doesn't seem like it's endless like it is today. Today, it's different. If you believe and as soon as you accept Jesus, the Bible says that the spirit then is there and it's indwelling in with us. The problem is, is our job is to keep that indwelling or that spirit burning within us uh, every moment of the rest of our lives. But a lot of times we allow people to squelch our spirit and we don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. In the Old Testament, God moved it from person to person and the Israelites obeyed that person because that was their connection to God. Moses was ordained by God and then he ordained uh, uh, Joshua and then God filled him so that he had the spirit of God. That's what we see in this text. Now here's the last few verses in uh, chapter 34. There has never been another prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and his entire land. 
With his mighty power, Mo- Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all of Israel. It's a really cool ending. After Moses has passed away, now they're kind of saying this is who he was and, and, and this is what he meant to the, the, the um, Israelite nation. Here's what verse 10b says. The Lord knew Moses face to face. Moses was so unique. Though he isn't perfect, he was so unique. He was so unique that he had this personal, intimate relationship with God. The term face to face doesn't actually mean face to face. Uh, we can't really come face to face with God because of sin. It means free and unhindered communication. Moses had this remarkably free and unhindered intimate relationship with God. Though he wasn't perfect, he was called to faithfulness. Verse 11 talks about him performing all the miracles and signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. You know, those 10, uh, those 10 uh, miracles that he did in, in, in front of Pharaoh. Moses was unique because of that, because of the number of miracles he did in Egypt and the kind of miracles he did for the task that God had called him to do. Moses wasn't perfect, but he was faithful faithful to what God had asked him to do. And verse 12 says, with his mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of Israel. What he did was so scary and so crazy, bringing this this uh, the spirit of death over Egypt. I mean, that is as scary as it gets. And those that had their their post washed with the blood of the lamb had it passed over. I mean, it's terrifying. Moses had this unique power and authority that God gave him that allowed him to need to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land, though he didn't get to go there. Moses wasn't perfect, but Moses was called to be faithful to what God wanted him to do. The verse says this, there'd never been another prophet like Moses. There'd never been another prophet. There have been greater rulers over Israel, greater leaders, greater prophets, greater priests. But besides Jesus Christ, our Lord, there's never been a man who held this title or offices more glorious than Moses did. Man, Moses was great. I mean, there's a whole chapter of him in Hebrews because of how powerful it was. I ask you to look back the day after Easter and listen to Dustin's message. It really gives you an understanding of the Old Testament and how this really works. A, A theologian that I was studying said this. His name's Thompson. He says, in him were consecrated all the great offices of Israel. The prophets, the ruler, the judge, the priest, he was all of those. It says, if someone held these offices who were great, Moses was greater than all of them. And the reason why God made sure that Moses didn't see the promised land, because he needed to let people know Moses isn't perfect. Moses isn't the Messiah. Moses didn't save Israel. God did. There's one greater than him, and that one is Jesus Christ. And once again, look at Dustin's message, and you'll hear that. Life, if you haven't figured out yet, isn't perfect. Man or Moses isn't perfect, but the Lord, our Savior, he is perfect. Here's what it says. In in Moses' last communication to the congregation or to all of Israel, he starts to sing this song. 
And this is kind of the glory part of his song. And in the first few verses, he's kind of celebrating how great God is. But here what we see in verse 32-4, Deuteronomy 32-4, we see this perfection of who God is. He, God, is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. That really sums up this message and this series. We are called to faithfulness because he is the rock and his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair in the eyes of God, maybe not man, but God is faithful and doesn't do wrong. He is good. Oh, how just and upright is he. And that kind of brings me back to that quote I gave with uh, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi loved God and he loved to grow people. And I really could see him challenging his team and challenging the church today. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch uh, 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 excellence. Here's what that verse says in Matthew. It says, you know, we are to be perfect as Christ is perfect or as the Lord perfect. But I really believe that perfection is really kind of misquoted in the idea of complete. Doing the best with what God has given you. That's the idea that I'm walking away from. Moses did his best with what God had given him. Even though he made mistakes, he murdered a guy, he sinned in Numbers 17 and 20, he still did the best of what God was doing to him. He was called to faithfulness. He wasn't anointed because of his perfection. He was complete in his faith to God and his love for God. And he isn't measured by his works. He's measured by his faithfulness to God. Faithful excellence is what God wants us to have. And that's what he's doing. He's giving you things in your life so that you can be excellent in your faith. But you don't have to be perfect. I really like this sermon series. And as we get headed into the summer, we've got another great sermon series. But as we close today, I want to just challenge you. How are you with regards to faith. Are you strong? Has the pandemic wore you out? I believe over the next few weeks and months that the church is starting to come back and grow. And this call to faithfulness is a a call that needs to go out into the airwaves and into the world so that many will come back and celebrate our Lord. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Holy Spirit, move right now. We are so grateful that the Spirit is dwelling right now. And I ask that the spirit goes out and moves and brings people to their knees and brings people to their feet and they're dancing and cheering and celebrating. I am faith. I, I, I love Jesus and I don't have to be perfect in him. He is perfect. I don't have to be. Lord, break the stronghold of perfectionism and, and anoint the person that's struggling with that so they can see and grow and understand and trust in the only one that is perfect. And Father, if there's someone there that knows they're imperfect and they're broken or lost or just feel distant or have anxiety or struggling right now, or you just feel God talking to you, if that's you and you want Christ as your Lord and Savior, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and watch the Lord take over your life and let the Spirit dwell so that you can be a child of God. And it it starts with a simple prayer. Here's how it goes. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross so that I may live. You rose again three days later later, so that I may have eternal life with you. And right now, Lord, I ask that you anoint me with the Holy Spirit. 
You let the Holy Spirit dwell inside of me and help me walk the rest of my days as close as possible to you. We love you, King Jesus, and we celebrate you. Amen. Mm -hmm.